Hello and welcome to the Controller Talk podcast presented by Danfoss North America. Our goal is to bring you information about using Danfoss controls in the supermarket and warehouse industry, specifically in the U.S. and Canada. We're doing these twice a month for now. I'm Dave Yoder along with Chris Brown. So Chris, we've managed to return after our pilot episode. Snuck back in. (laughs) That's right. Uh, The hecklers outside are on break, fortunately, and both of our listeners said they would definitely, maybe, listen again. (laughs) So um, this time around, we are going to delve into some I.O. communication with our controllers. Uh, We use a lot of Echelon communication, so... um, I have a feeling that there's some people out there that really aren't familiar with the big picture. Sure. So we're going to take a dive into that and um, talk a little bit later about what kind of things can go wrong and what to do about it. So we're going to focus on Echelon communications to the Danfoss I.O. boards and some of the other devices since that's the most common. Yep. Uh, We have Modbus communication as well, but that would be a separate discussion. Now, back around 1995, when you were just a kid. Those are the days. Yes, yes. Danfoss started using Echelon or LON TP78 communication with the new Axis 55 controller. All the cool kids were using TP78 back then. Uh, One of the first ECI or EIL case controllers used TP78 as well. Um, We could get into all kinds of specs and details, but um, when it comes to TP78, we're just going to focus on how to keep it reliable and what to do if you run into a problem. Uh, We also have a different version of LON, which is LON RS-485, but in the U.S. and Canada, LON TP78 is the most commonly used version. Yep. So as far as wiring goes, uh, this network uses a two-conductor twisted shielded pair of wires. Normally, you'll see either 18, 20, or 22-gauge wire installed. Some Echelon networks use non-shielded wire, but this one really should be shielded. At first, there was a very loose spec on the wire type, but in recent years, we've been more precise on the wire spec, and it's proven to prevent communication problems, especially when you have more nodes and longer runs. Yeah, controllers have been really forgiving over the years on not using the right wire type, and that's something that we've uh, gone a long way into making sure we get that nailed down. Right. All right, and the spec we use for the TP78 communication cable is the Windy City wire number 106-500. They run that under the smart wire label, uh, but it's a wire that's made out near Chicago, and it's proved to be um, uh, really a good wire for us. Yeah, some of them can get pretty bulky and hard to work with, but that's one of the better ones we've seen. Correct, yep. Uh, I believe a lot of that uh, has the green jacket on it, so right. that's how people know if it's uh, the good stuff. Yeah. So for us, uh, we'll talk about nodes. Um, for us, any, a node is anything that the wire is connected to. Um, that's a pretty general term, but that's uh, a good rule of thumb. Yep. So back when the... Axis 55 was released, Mm -hmm. it had five ports inside that you could connect your I.O. boards to. Uh, The 255 also has five ports, and our newer controllers like the 800 and the 800A have four ports inside. Now, if you add up all the wire uh, that you connect to these ports, the total cannot exceed 4,000 feet. Right. Now, the loop from node to node is considered a daisy chain or a point-to-point loop. 
And the idea here is that the controller has a 120 ohm resistor built in for the start of the loop, and you need a 120 ohm resistor at the other end called a termination or a end of line resistor. Yep. If that resistor at the end is missing or loose, or if there's a branch somewhere in the loop, you might get away with it for a while, but eventually you'll start having problems with boards going offline. They might go offline and come back on their own, and then eventually you'll- It's a nuisance thing, yeah, it keeps coming and going. Right, you'll see more problems uh, over and over. Yeah, so there's a, a option in the controllers, and, and this again goes to whether it's 255, 800, whichever series you're looking at, but um, a rescan is one of the basic things we can do in the controllers to make sure the controller's talking to the boards that are wired to it. So in the 255, you go under communications and then IO network. If you're in the 800 series, you go into config and it's under a network nodes tab that you'll see available to you there. Right. But when we, we run these rescans, and, and it's important to keep in mind that a rescan is not a reset. Sometimes people try to reset a controller to get things online, but they, they need to do this rescan function. Um, but it, it's going out and, and confirming that the controller can talk to modules that are wired to it and, and possibly already programmed to it as well. Um, they don't have to be programmed into it, uh, but the, if they are, then, then there's some additional info you can see there on whether individual points are online or not. Uh, you get a different tab as well when you're in there, um, and this actually just came up with me this week, where you can see if there's duplicates. So if you have a COM module, for example, or a case controller, and two of them have the same address by mistake, which we know we can't do, the duplicates tab picks up on that and will display what the address is of the controller that's duplicated. And so we had a guy a couple nights ago that had a, a the, the rotary dial was right between the two and the three. Oh, okay. He thought he had it on the two and it was actually a little more towards the three and yep. went right to duplicates and saw it in there because there was already another board that had the same address. Right. So just clean that up and yeah, rescan again. Yeah, that duplicate tab got added back in the 255, um, probably around 2011 in the software. And it has proved to be pretty handy because we've seen situations on startups where cabinets are getting wired in and someone didn't realize that a cabinet got wired in on the other side of the store. Right. They did a scan, started having problems, and then you have to track that down using that duplicate tab. Yep. Um, I also saw it recently on up in the Northeast on a RTU job where there were two RTUs wired in that no one even knew about. And uh, it started causing problems because if you have a sensor that reads uh, fine and then a few minutes later it doesn't read fine anymore, it's possible because the controller will flip between the two nodes of the same address and that's why your reading can come and go. But it's a it's a handy thing to, to look at if you're having weird problems like that. Definitely, I mean, guys aren't walking into to new maintenance contracts or new stores, they just don't always know what's in there. So definitely a big help. Yeah. So what are we, we rescanning when we run this function in the controllers? Uh, I mean, we've talked, we, we just mentioned our standard AK2 IO boards and, and case controllers, which that's probably 90, 95% of the time what you're looking at. Yeah when you're rescanning the system, but there are some other things, the different channels you have to enable. There's a um, Modbus loop that you, you just mentioned here a few minutes ago, but if we have, whether it's case controllers or lighting panels or HVAC equipment that might be on a Modbus loop, um, then the rescan is also going out to look for those devices as well as part of the scan. Yep. If we have a, on the 
255s. Uh, we had the RS-45 host communication. And, and even now, if you're looking at an 800 series where it's Ethernet, um, rescans aren't helping with uh, uh, host communication or remote communication in any way. So they're not going to reestablish anything along those lines. This is strictly for devices that are wired into the, the main rack or system manager controller um, right. for communication there. And when you guys get into these screens, if you haven't seen them before, the first time you, you touch on them, you'll see that there's different channels that you can enable or select when you're on the rescan screen. And, and they're called channels in the controller. Um, and it's really something where you, you need to pay attention to what channels you're enabling. Um, if you enable all of them, which is something we see in, in certain customers sometimes that they'll just kind of blindly go through and a tech thinks, hey, I'll just see what I can see. Um, they're, they're checking them all off, but you, you need to make sure you're only checking off the type of equipment you're, you're really using. So it really becomes important that you know what's in the store uh, at this point. So um, the first channel, LonWorks, these are, again, our standard um, TP78 devices, uh, Lon485 devices, COM modules is the, the first one that comes to mind. Um, so if we have equipment like that that's wired back to the controller, you've got to make sure that that's enabled or otherwise we wouldn't pick it up. Um, Modbus is another channel you'll see in there to enable, and again, you only want to enable it if you're using those types of devices. And then you're going to see a few other options after that that, that we're not typically going to see enabled in a, a U.S. or Canadian supermarket. So SNMP, PI100s, 200s, um, there's a Modbus TCP. We don't want to turn them on typically. Uh, and the downside, if you do, is that the controller is going to just kind of perpetually look for that sort of equipment to be wired to it. And, and it might just get stuck in an infinite loop where it never stops rescanning because of that. And when it's in that, that kind of holding pattern of looking for devices that it thinks it should be scanning for and not seeing, it's really not controlling the other functions in the controller in the meantime. So it can get a little ugly. So yeah, really want to pay attention to what channels you're enabling on that rescan screen there. Yep. So the obvious question is when are you supposed to do a rescan? In my mind, it falls into to one of two different categories. It's either are we in a project where there's new equipment going in, new cases, or is it a new store, or is are we in the troubleshooting mode? Right. So the new projects where you've got maybe some cases being added in, maybe you're adding a new RDP enclosure or just some board somewhere in the store to, to pick up that new equipment and control it. That's situation number one. You want to run a rescan if you have some new modules that just got wired into the controller and we're, we're trying to bring them online. If it's just a board that you're adding or removing, maybe a case got pulled out of the store or we added a, a lighting zone that we're controlling, a new rooftop unit, whatever it is, then um, and we're slapping in a, a relay board or a sensor board to go along with that, then we need to rescan it even if it is on going into a, a row of boards that already existed. So com module with three boards and we're adding a fourth, we still need to rescan afterwards. In that situation, when we're adding boards to a uh, to a row that already exists, we don't want to do what a lot of people call hot swapping. Um, we don't want to add boards or remove boards or, or replace boards while the communication module that starts off that row still has power. So whether you're flipping a switch or just pulling the 24 volt plug off the comm module while you're doing that. And yeah, you want to play it safe and make sure that that's taking place. All right. One thing about the rescan is that when the rescan is done, then you should expect that any compressors that are connected to that controller will turn off. Mm -hmm. And 
they're going to restart based on timers and suction pressure, but you have to also keep in mind that the controller can have multiple racks on it. So if you happen to have a situation where all your compressors in that room are on the same controller, you do a rescan, all the compressors are going to shut off. It's going to get quiet in the compressor room, which no one likes usually. It's a little scary. Uh, right, right. So yeah, the point is don't freak out when it gets quiet in there because they will restart and come back up. Yeah. Some people get nervous about rescans when it comes to lighting, but lighting really doesn't seem to get affected by rescans. Uh, so no big deal there. And just keep in mind too that uh, the rescans are, especially in the troubleshooting situation, we're trying to bring a board back online that we've gotten an alarm on. If the store loses power for a couple minutes or something like that and the boards drop offline, they should come back online on their own. Right. So it's, it's not that you have to do a rescan every time there's a power outage at the store or something like that. Typically, the controller, if everything's okay with the wiring, will pick it back up itself. Right. And it's worth pointing out that if that situation presents itself, you're right. The board is going to come back on its own nine times out of ten. Right. Um, but if you throw a rescan at it when there is no power to the board then the controller is thinking maybe that board really isn't there. So then when you do your due diligence and actually get power back to the board, then you will have to rescan to bring it back because it has to know what's really out there. Creating extra work for yourself, trying to right, actually right. fix the problem. Sometimes it's a long way to the roof. It's, <laughs> yes, it is. It's how it works. Okay. So now that we've covered the basics, we're going to look at what could give you trouble when things don't go right. Um, so if you have a serious problem in a communication module or a board that's installed outside, it's got corrosion on it, or maybe even a module that got wet, uh, without you being aware of it, then you could have a problem rescanning modules. We've found those surprises, uh, when you get up on a roof and you find that the panel's open and it's been raining, or, um, you've got a panel that's packed full of snow, um, that's not good but uh, at least it's uh, pretty easy to diagnose anyway. Yeah, straightforward. Right. Um, so if you don't know that those, those situations are happening, then you could rescan and then your rescan's not gonna finish because you weren't aware of those things. Um, but you could see something where if a rescan gets hung up, it can display a message, especially on the 255 at the top, it'll say something like, verifying node 15. Yep. Um, that tells you that if that doesn't go away within a minute, it's probably hung up. And that number 15 in this case is not an address. It's just a total number that it's basically saying, I'm trying to get through this scan, but I'm getting stuck here somewhere. So the other controllers uh, might take longer to finish the rescan and it might even show more nodes offline than you would have expected when you get into these situations. Yeah, so I, and it's a similar situation to enabling channels that you aren't really using. Um, so it'll kind of just stick in that mode of saying verifying node up there at the top and it, it never finishes a scan. Um, so I, I mean, there's times where just resetting the controllers clean that up for us. I've had some very rare instances where we actually have to get in and disable all the channels and then reset the controller. So it's a nuisance thing and something you don't want to just leave it there saying uh, verifying nodes because it's another situation where you might not have control of the, the rack or the equipment wired to it while it's in that state. 
Right, but if it's if it's stuck there, you're probably going to have to reset the controller yep. to get it out of that mode. And every some once in a while, I reset it twice if I have to. Same. Yeah, then you can move forward with it. Yeah, I mean, um, next time you're working on the, the front end controllers and you're in that I/O network menu, there there's some different tabs that you'll see in there that that can give you some different information. So, I mean, we have config status, which is more of a reflection of what's been programmed in the controllers. And that's going to um, list out on a board-by-board board basis what's um, what's online and what's offline based on what's been, again, programmed into the unit. Scan status is more a reflection of what's actually been wired into the controller. So it may not be something that's been programmed in yet, but if the controller can pick up on that scan that it's wired in, it'll show it to you there. Um, we have list nodes uh, as well, which is just going to list out in a more general format all the, the boards that you have set up in the controller and, and whether they're offline or online. And then we get into the AKCM overview screen, which uh, that can give you some details on the boards specifically to, to give you an idea of if you have problems, what it might be. And if you're not familiar with what should be in these screens, then it's a good idea to look at them so you know what a normal screen looks like. And then you can compare it if you have something offline to deal with. Yeah. Uh, but that that's AK2CM overview screen has some good information in it. Um, I use that quite a bit. Same. Yeah. Uh, it'll show you the communication module addresses that have been scanned in. It'll show you the types of boards for each address. And if the board can read sensors, it'll tell you if the 5-volt and the 12-volt supply voltages are good. And you can see as many as nine modules listed out here for each communication module because that's the limit on how many I.O. boards can be on a single COM module. So if you look in there on these uh, boards that can read temp sensors, you'll see a temperature reading as well. And that temp reading is actually a little sensor that's on the board, uh, which can be kind of handy. Um, in the wintertime, we can use it to tell if a board is inside or outside, if nobody knows where it's located. But in general, if it reads over about 120 or 130 degrees Fahrenheit, it could mean that there's something wrong with the board itself. So if you're having trouble, it may help point out something for you. And even on those supply voltages, they should be pretty locked into 5.0 and 12.0. So as soon as they start to, to vary some from that, you know, whether it's the board or is there some bad point wired into it that's giving you feedback yeah yeah there's some uh situations there that that voltage will tell you that something's wrong yeah those are regulated voltages they did help me one time when someone was using the wrong value external resistor and it was really loading the board down hmm. uh the 12 volt was dropped down to like three volts yeah. as soon as we took the resistor off it came right back so that helped us know where to look all right, so that's a pretty good uh, review of the Lawn I.O. communication. So we're going to move on to some other fun stuff here. Uh, this is the part of the podcast I like to call Stump Chris because um, I like to throw questions at Chris and see what he really knows here. One for one, let's bring the average down. All right, I hope you like numbers because this week's about numbers. So, uh, Chris, uh, as usual, you have to testify that based on the statutes and laws of the state of Maryland that I have not shared the question or the answer with you ahead of time. Is that correct? Uh, can I say after we answer the question? <laughs> no. I <didn't. laughs> no, I, I, I am uh, ignorant to what the question and answer might be on uh, this That's one. the way we like it. Good, good, good. Okay. So, this week's question is a three-part question about numbers. Uh -oh. And uh, as you know, the AKV valve is a pretty important valve, and it's uh, pretty widely used, and it's an electronic expansion valve. 
Um, so the three-part questions is, the first part is, what year was that valve released? Oh, boy. <laughs> I dug deep for these. I was going to say, I'll just pull a year out of my hat here. Um, okay. Pull it out of something, whatever it takes. <laughs> Can I phone a friend? Do I have... <laughs> you have no lifelines. No, no lifelines? No. Nope. Let's go 1975. I'm sorry. That's incorrect. 1987. Ah, okay. In basketball terms, we'll move on to the next shot here. Appreciate it. Okay. Um, as of 2020, how many of these have been sold? Oh, man, I like last week's question a lot better. I told you we would ramp it up. Yeah, you, you, you did. Yes. How many have been sold? As of 2020. And we've got globally, obviously, to keep in mind here. We're not just selling these in the U.S. That is true. Yes, yes. Uh, I can cue up since, the Jeopardy music if you like. Since 1980s. I don't have to phrase this in the form of a question. You do not. <laughs> Let's go with uh, 3 million valves. I'll accept that answer. The answer is greater than 3 million. Yeah. That's a good guess. That yeah, was a random guess. Okay. You nailed that one. Okay. Last one. How many valve cycles is that valve rated for in its lifetime? 1.4 million. I'm sorry, that's incorrect. <laughs> You're off by just a smidge. Yeah. Uh, in this lifetime, each valve is rated for greater than 50 million cycles. Oof. Smidge. Yes, yes. Wow. Okay. That's so, one heck of a valve, isn't it? <laughs> it is. You got partial credit this week, so. Brought the average down, like I yes, said. Yes, it took some research to find all this. I just want you to know. All right. So as you wallow in your defeat... Let's go to listener mail, shall we? Have at it. Yes, I got a few here. Oddly enough, our first podcast hasn't even been broadcast out there to the world yet, but we have listener mail. <laughs> Dear Controller Talk guys, don't quit your day jobs. You guys are laboring under your own delusions of grandeur. Oh, that's from someone named Stacy Yoder. Oh, how'd that get in here? <laughs> well, we'll block there's her. There's not a grocery list on there. <laughs> no, there's not. That one's getting blocked. Well, we'll come back with more listener mail next week. If you'd like to drop us a line with a suggestion for topics to cover, a question, a comment, you can email us at ControllerTalkNorthAmerica at DanFoss.com. That's ControllerTalkNorthAmerica at DanFoss.com. In some upcoming episodes, we'll cover common problems you might run across, individual controller types, uh, the AKV valve in greater detail, and probably some other topics of interest. So thanks for listening. Our studio and video engineers are Michael, don't call me Mike, Beckerman, and Jordan, the man Larson. Collectively, we like to call them Michael Jordan. Our audio engineer is Raul Garcia. Until next time, for Chris Brown, I'm Dave Yoder. Stay cool.